If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. And it's going to be on the screen, so if you wouldn't mind, we just do this together here as a way to honor uh, the scriptures and the reading of it together. It's a beautiful uh, ancient history activity that we get to participate in. So if you wouldn't mind just standing, we're going to stand together and read this out loud together. It's going to be on the screen, and we'll uh, do that in just a moment. Follow with me. It says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are open and ready and available for you to speak to us in whichever way you please. We ask that as we cover your scripture and look into it and seek to understand that you would bring fruit in our life. For those who need encouragement, would you just build up encouragement, joy, affirmation in their life? For those who need correction, for those who need teaching, would you correct, would you teach, would you gently guide us into all truth today? Thank you for the opportunity to read your word together, to sit together, to be together. And we ask that this would just be a moment where we pause and we reflect on your goodness and your glory. We say this for your glory and our good. Everyone said joyfully, please. Amen. Amen. You can sit down. Feel free to sit. Grab your Bible. Now, if you hear any kids, most likely they're mine. Thank you, kids. I can't get this off my mind, so we're just going to talk about it. Um, have you ever really, really wanted a donut? Anybody? You've wanted a donut. And what I mean is like you're in the middle of work or you're at home and this idea of a donut comes into your mind and then you realize you have a really important decision to make. Like, are you going to just say, no, I don't need that right now, I'm fine. Or are you going to actually get in your car, drive to a place that sells donuts, spend money, hard-earned money on a donut? Are you going to, I've been sitting here in the office studying, and then all of a sudden it's like, this idea of wanting a donut comes into my mind, and then like, it becomes this euphoric thing where all of a sudden I'm like envisioning holding a warm donut in my hand, and it's like coming to my mouth, and I'm like smelling the hydrogenated soybean oil and the high fructose corn syrup, and in that moment, I'm like thanking the scientific community, saying thank you for creating these things, although they're killing us, I'm just thankful that they take my mind to places I couldn't understand in flavor country, I love it. And in that moment, I have a choice. And that choice is, am I going to be a person that like gets the donut? Or am I going to be the person that, that says, you know, I just started a paleo, nut-free, grain-free, air-free diet. And I'm going to like honor my body and the longevity, right? We have choices to make. And depending upon where you are at internally in that moment and commitments you've made and things you've decided to do or live out in your life, you will decide one way or the other. Now, uh, we have been in a series on the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about what the Holy Spirit does, right? The, the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians, some of the things that the Spirit does through your life, some of the gifts he's given you to bless and build his kingdom. But there are other things the Spirit does. And we've been talking about this in the context of the stuff the Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit works not just in an external way through us, in power and works, but especially 
in us through inner transformation. So us from the inside out, serve and follow Jesus in a way that is a blessing for us and others. That's a reality of the gospel. That's a reality of the scriptures. But the one very real problem with this is the first sentence of our passage today. If you remember that first passage is, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. If you're an underliner or a highlighter, that's an important phrase. I would encourage you to highlight that, underline that. So to effectively understand how the Holy Spirit works in us to accomplish his will and set us free to live a full and joyful and satisfying life, we first have to understand the problem. What is the problem? And the problem in this passage, as it points out so clearly, is this biblical idea of something called the flesh. So what is the flesh? What is referred to as the flesh? Perhaps mainly, but also really plainly, it refers to that part of us that is just alienated from God. It's that part that just wants nothing to do with God. It's that rebellious, unruly, and obstinate part of our heart that just is hard-hearted. The part of our inner self that can be operative a lot of the time. It's the part that doesn't want to be told what to do. Anybody? You don't want to be told what to do, right? Like you just do not like being told, slow down, or don't let your dog do that on my grass, or whatever, right? You don't, you don't like the rules, uh, your flesh is stubborn. It can refuse correction. It doesn't want to have anything often to do with God. It freaks out at limits and rules. And it often, your flesh, my flesh as well, recoils at anything that might cause us to be diminished or something less than the center of the universe. Right? We want to be the people that have all the attention. Have you ever been in those conversations where somebody is talking about themselves constantly and all you can think is, I can't wait to be done with this conversation. You have a problem when the, the attention's not on you, when you're trying to elevate someone else and not yourself. That's the flesh. The flesh also hates to be under authority or have to yield to anything other than its own wishes and own desires. Uh, the Protestants would often call uh, the flesh our sin nature, which I think is a great way to summarize the point that this is a part of our sin nature, the flesh, and what Paul is describing here. So if we're going to understand how the Spirit works in us to transform us, we have to understand first how he sets us free from the power of the flesh. So what I want to do first is clearly identify how the flesh shows up in our lives. So here's eight quick ways, okay? We'll go through them quick, I promise. But there are eight, so here we go. The first way that the flesh shows up in your life is the flesh is numb to spiritual teachings. One of the ways you know that your flesh is taking charge or taking the lead is that you are not sensitive to a moment when the Spirit is speaking, Scripture reading, these moments when someone's teaching the Scriptures, right, trying to encourage Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. We become numb when we let our flesh lead our lives. Second way the flesh shows anything outside its own power or control. Your flesh, my flesh would rather be in control than to have trust in God. It's just so much easier in our mind to think, well, I, I know what's best. I don't want to depend on anyone or anything. Thirdly, and I'll try to move slowly through the rest of these, the flesh hates to be told what to do. 
Our flesh hates to be told what to do. Uh, Romans 7.5 says, For when we were controlled by the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore the fruit for death. We hate to be told what to do. I've talked to so many people this year. I don't know. COVID has been a really interesting uh, thing, obviously. Uh, it's, it's absolutely rat- rattled up so many different infrastructures and church and people and relationships, right? But I have talked to so many people this year who have made it. Like, no one. Like, didn't seek counsel. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to humble themselves to the position to say, you know what, could you help me understand if this is a good decision for us or not? Fourthly, the flesh is intent on gratifying its own passions and desires. It wants to gratify what it wants. And this is the classic problem that we're facing in our culture and time, isn't it? And it's having devastating consequences. And that problem is a culture of individualism. When we live for just ourselves, it is the opposite of how we were designed to live. So what ends up happening is we cause all sorts of unintended and sometimes intended damage by doing our own thing and just saying, you know what? I need to gratify my own passions, my own desires. Fifthly, how the flesh shows up in your life. Your flesh is hostile to God. It's not just like not okay with God or neutral. It's like hostile. doesn't want anything to do with God. The mind of the flesh, Romans 8 says, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. That's a really sobering line. You realize that? Those who are controlled by the flesh cannot please God. Sixthly, uh, your flesh shows up in this way. Your flesh abuses freedom. In effect, your flesh says, I will do what I want to do, and I will decide if it's right or wrong. Right? We want to be the God of our own life and our own story, and we want to decide. So it abuses freedom. It results in indulgence, and it leads to slavery to senses and passions. So when you and I live a life where we have an extended amount of freedom, which we're going to talk about the Spirit setting us free from, we start to become slaves to senses and passions rather than to God. A seventh way it shows up, the flesh demands to be fed. It's hungry all the time, and it demands that you feed it, right? Within the human person, there's this deep conflict constantly between the flesh and spirit. And we have to be aware, we cannot be mistaken, that the flesh in us is strong. Okay? We have to remember that. It's really strong. And it has declared war on our spirit. The flesh has literally said, I'm going to try to destroy you. Your sin nature does not want you to live in freedom. It wants you to completely be under its control. It's guys, right? When the spirit tries to obey the flesh, often resists powerfully, and it tries to sabotage even our best aspirations to follow Jesus. It does, almost every time. And we have to be sober about this conflict and understand making drives unhealth in our life. The eighth way that the, and final way that the flesh can show up in your life is the flesh fuels sin. And if you're wondering, like, what is that sin? Uh, Galatians, in the same chapter we're reading, actually just a few verses down in verse 20, it says, what is the actual kind of idea? And this is not an exhaustive list. This is actually a very short list of ways that the flesh can fuel sin into your life. It, It can fuel sin in ways of idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, 
discord, jealousy. Anyone had fits of rage lately? That's in there. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is just some of the stuff that, that the flesh wants to fuel you towards in your life. Now, if we're going to understand the flesh, we have to also understand one more thing. What conditions are the conditions that the flesh just thrives in, just grows, just is out of control in? And the condition that the flesh thrives in most primarily is darkness. Many of us, if, if you're like me, or if you're like any other human in the world, many of us try to deal with our sin alone in privacy, don't we? We just go, I've got this. this is, I've got it under control. It's okay. Now, darkness in the scriptures is often referred to, as people, uh, referred to the people who are far away from God. And if you think about it for a second with me, darkness is very useful when you have something to hide. Think about hide-and-go-seek in the dark, right? It's a great game. The other day I told my two little kids, hey, go upstairs. We're playing hide-and-go-seek in the dark. I stayed downstairs and enjoyed an evening by myself while they hid from me for hours. <laughs> it wasn't hours, but it was a good enough amount of time for me to be like, I've got to do this again. This was a really good choice. I was really happy with myself. They thought we were playing a game. We weren't. I was just hanging out. They were just sitting dark by themselves having a great time. And I love that it was a great moment. But darkness is incredibly useful when you want to hide things. And the opposite of living in darkness is what? Transparency. If you want to live a life in the Spirit and create a culture for the Spirit to grow, three things, transparency, openness, and honesty. Those three things. Transparency, openness, and honesty. These are the, this is the area where the Spirit can just grow in your life, where the Spirit can just do His best work. And transparency is one of the most important things we need to have to achieve a walk with the Lord and with others. I mean, transparency in relationship is important because when you're transparent, what does that do? That helps others be transparent. It helps others be honest and open about what's going on in their life, right? It's a gift. So darkness and privacy absolutely are disastrous when it comes to walking in the Spirit. And if you're here and you're actively hiding sin and living in darkness and not even being honest with yourself, may I just encourage you to take a moment and think and just identify maybe there is a problem, right? Not one that is unsolvable, not one that you can't be forgiven from and not one that you can't come back from, but one that is a real problem, right? We need to identify the power of sin if we're going to deal with it effectively. So we have this problem called the flesh. So how do we overcome the flesh and the sin nature to live in God's kingdom? How do we allow the Spirit to work in us? Well, simply it's called life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is the beginning of the process of something called sanctification. We'll talk about more of that later. Or a term that we're going to use today, spiritual formation. Life in the Spirit is the start of spiritual formation. So, in this passage, there's three specific ways that we see the Holy Spirit overcome the flesh, walk, and have life in the Spirit. Three specific ways. The first way that we see is the Holy Spirit makes us truly free. Okay, the first way that we live in life in the Spirit, begin to walk with Him, overcome the flesh, is we first have to recognize that the Holy Spirit makes us truly free. As we just covered, our sinful nature can be super deceitful, right? It can be incredibly deceitful. I'm surprised by the level of sneakiness in my own flesh. Anybody else? Like, 
All of us have things that we do that we believe that we are free from, but we are actually, in fact, trapped by. I'm going to say this one more time. All of us have things that we do that we believe we are free to do, but in fact, we are actually trapped by. In some senses, you have been set free, right, to not sin. You've been set free to not have to sin. Now, there's three specific ways in our culture that I see this showing up specifically. Three areas, by and large, and I've realized there's not really an age gap or really an age cap on this. I've seen all sorts of ages and all sorts of stages of life dealing with these three major areas in which people think that they are free, but in reality, they are not. And I'm going to go through them really quickly. First one uh, is alcohol use, right? Drinking. Like, First of all, I love beer. Thank you for it, God. I'm so thankful. Jesus was all about wine. So am I. Buy me a bottle for my birthday. I'm all about it. But there's drunkenness as a sin, right? We recognize there's a problem. Why is drunkenness a sin? Simple, because when you do that, you numb all the parts of you that the Spirit wants to speak to. You begin to make decisions that are contrary to the work and life of the Spirit in you. It's like one of those things when you tell your, your kids, hey, please don't jump off that ledge. Why? Because I, I just don't want you to die. Like, I'm not trying to ruin your fun. That's 20 feet. You don't recognize depth perception yet. That's fine, but I don't want you to die. I'm not trying to ruin your fun or your life. I'm just trying to save it, right? And I think the Spirit says that to us sometimes. Like, I'm giving you this stuff not to, like, ruin your life, but to help your life, to help you make wise decisions, to give you the best runway to make the best decisions, to have the fullest, most joyful life. So I see it in the area of drinking. You, some of you think that you are free to drink, but in fact you are not free to not drink, meaning that you are using it to cope with life. I see this in many, many people, many stages, ages, right? And this isn't me being critical. I'm just, rec I'm just pointing out, this is an area where many people think they have freedom, but they're actually, in fact, not free. They are trapped. They have to do this. The second area that I see, by and large now, more than ever, is marijuana use, right? Some of it is medical, right? But there's a lot of it that's not. It's recreational. And it becomes now this thing where you are using it maybe to cope with anxiety. And then it happens every other day. And then it happens every day. And then it happens twice a day. And then all of a sudden you recognize, like, I can't live without this thing. In fact, you're not free to not engage in that. And then the third thing that I see, and this is, I think, one of the most destructive ways in which the enemy is attacking us, using our flesh against us, against us, is actually premarital sex. I see that all the time. People think, I have the freedom to decide what I want to do. I, get, I have the freedom with my body, my choice. I get to do what I want. And similarly, just like the analogy of encouraging your child not to jump off a 20 feet in that because I want to take something from you. Yes, you have the freedom to engage in that, but you actually have also the freedom to not engage in that because he has something better for you. I always like the analogy that the, the Bible uses, Proverbs uses about um, sex specifically in marriage. It talks about this idea of, of a fireplace, right? Like think about a fireplace for a minute. When you have a wood burning fireplace in your home, you have a, you have a fireplace, hopefully, and you, you, you stack the wood, you put fire starter in there, and you start a fire, and it just slowly gets warmer and warmer, and what happens? The glow, like, fills the room. It's beautiful. It starts to, like, warm the room. You're like, you'll wake up early in the morning when it's dark just to start a fire, to stare at it. What's the best part of camping, right? The campfire. You sit around the campfire, you enjoy good food, good drink, and you stare at the fire and talk forever. What is that about? It's like this simple, mesmerizing thing. And Jesus says, listen, that's good. And when it's in the fireplace, it's awesome. Now, listen, you have the freedom to say, 
I don't want to build the fire in the fireplace today. I would like to do it in my living room. I just, I want a fire here today. I have that choice. I have that freedom. Yes, you do. And what happens? You burn the house down, right? Now, I know this is a very simple analogy, but I think the point rings true that when you are following God's way, he has certain parameters in which he puts that in the context of marriage because he wants to bless you, not keep something from you. He wants to bless your life. And here's the thing about sexual sin that, that we often forget. Yes, we're sinning against God, but we're also sinning against ourselves. It's the only sin in which we sin against ourselves in a deep way. So these are three areas in which I see in our culture right now where people think they are free and have freedoms, but in fact they are not free. They are doing damage. They are actually not free to not sin. And when your flesh is getting what it wants, you're not free. You're a slave to the things. You are a slave to them. And if you're here right now and you're thinking, man, I just, I just can't give it up, then I would say take a moment, invite the Spirit in. We're going to have some moments in a couple minutes to, to do that. Uh, Romans 6 give us, gives us hope. Romans 6, verse 22, it's going to be on the screen, says this. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin, tell you what to do, and have discovered a whole healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. There's hope. We don't have to live in that. So you are set free. I am set free to be a blessing. One of the gifts the Spirit gives you is a freedom to live the way that you were truly designed to live. Freed from the power of sin to become servants by choice to one another. 1 Peter 2, I think, is a great, simple one sentence that sums it up. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. We want to be people that walk with him. The Spirit sets you and I free to be responsible to serve others in a way that elevates what they need above what you need. And it's easy to think that freedom is the right to sin, isn't it? Like, I have the right to do what I want or the privilege to do what I want. But the Spirit has given us this desire and ability to do what we should before God. You've been set free to be interested in what God is doing in your life and in his kingdom. Let me say that again. That's important. You've been set free to be interested in what God is doing in your life. He has an absolute beautiful plan. He has something that he has for you in relationship and depth with him. So first thing we see is that he sets us free from the, the flesh, truly free. The second thing the Spirit does in us is the Holy Spirit helps us to love sacrificially. Helps us love sacrificially. Now, Paul, in this letter, he was encouraging people to create a community which God's own character and purposes would be fulfilled. He was saying, like, love people in a way that honors God and brings about his kingdom, to love them as he would love them. And in this passage, Paul says, but through love serve one another, one another, that the medium is actually love. Now, the antidote for using freedom as an occasion for the flesh is actually love. When we use love instead of the freedoms that we have. When we say the lens I'm going to look at this through is not can I do what I want, how I want, but how can I be the most loving person to my spouse, my friends, my roommate, my boss. When we have that lens, we begin to take on kingdom characteristics that Jesus has put in us. The spirit brings alive in us. Now the flesh obviously expects us, uh, expects others, excuse me, to conform to us. 
and doesn't really care about others. That's the flesh. When you have been in that moment where you're like, I just don't care, right, about what you want or what you need. That's a really, that's a great identifier. That's the flesh. But when through love we serve one another, we conquer the flesh. It's through getting out and by getting out and serving others. It's not about just thinking about how can I not walk in the flesh? It's simply your space and your family. That's what it's about. Now, Jesus uh, set this pattern. And I'm just going to read this story. I think it's going to be on the screen. I want to read this quick story or a quick moment in Jesus's life when he just exampled this in a beautiful way. And this story just gives it so much more clarity than I could ever give it. It says this, um, Jesus got into the boat again. This is Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 21. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and he went back to the other side. This was when Jesus was in the prime of his ministry. He went to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. So this happens and a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus, he arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him. And he said, guys, my little daughter is dying. And so please come, lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from the doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So she had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe. You've heard this story before. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And what happens? You know the story. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she and her condition were healed. The bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she was healed from this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once the healing power had gone from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples, the disciples always just absolutely coming in clutch with this, always being just the weirdest. And like, this is what they say. Look at the crowds pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? They're just so unaware of what's happening most of the time. But he kept on looking around and he said, hey, no, someone did this. Who did it? Then the woman frightened, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and she fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. What an interesting story. A couple of things to highlight for this point. Jesus was busy. He was in the height of his ministry. Crowds wanted him. Families needed healing. Jesus' schedule was obviously really full, and he was on his way. He all of a sudden gets asked to come heal this girl, and it's time is of the essence. Please get here. My daughter's dying. Come quickly, right? And then on his way, as he's going, this woman's like, I need some healing. And so she grabs his robe, stops. The whole thing stops. And as a result of this unintended miracle, what happens? Jairus' daughter dies, right? It's like incredibly inconvenient, like, right? But Jesus inconvenienced himself while he was going and he loved this woman in three ways. With his time, with his energy, and most important in our time, my friends, his attention. He loved this woman with his time, energy, and, and attention. Jesus didn't plan for this. This wasn't like a planned thing. This miracle wasn't scheduled. He was 
completely caught off guard. But notice just one more thing. He wasn't upset. He wasn't mad. This derailed his appointment in the healing with the young girl, right? But here's what's great. He didn't overreact. Sorry, it's my kid. Hi, sweetie. Yep. Uh, he didn't overreact, right? What did he do? What did he do? He stopped and in love, he gave her his time, energy, and attention. The beautiful part of that story, which uh, I know it ends pretty cliffhanger, but uh, Jesus comes in, heals the girl anyway, and heals the, the girl, brings her back to life. So it's a beautiful thing. But he wasn't upset. He wasn't angry. He wasn't mad. He just loved this person. And he was patient. This inconvenience literally killed someone. And Jesus' response was like love and tenderness and patience. I need that. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in him. The last way that the Spirit works in us to overcome the flesh is by helping us, number three, walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us walk in the Spirit through something called sanctification. Now, sanctification is just a big Bible word that basically means a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And both God and man have a role to play in this process. Simply put, if we walk in the Spirit instead of trying to live by the law, we will naturally not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So this week, before we go, I just want to give some mental traction, some energy, some practical steps or tools of how we can actually walk in the Spirit strategically and specifically this week and the next month, and the next year, and for the whole of our life. What does it look like practically for you and me to walk in the Spirit? To walk in the Spirit first means this, that the Holy Spirit is at home in you. The Holy Spirit is at home in you. As in any relationship, you want to know that you're wanted, don't you? I mean, I cannot believe my wife still wants me to say I love her. It's been, it's 14 years now. I mean, I think it might be a little too much, right? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Like, right, it's insane how many times a day we want to be reminded of affection. Hey, I know you like me, but or you love me, but do you like me? Do you actually want to hang out with me? You want to, like, friendships are like this, right? Like, you want to know that you're wanted. And the same is true with the Holy Spirit. It starts with acknowledging that you want to start the process of being formed by him. It starts by you saying, Spirit, I actually want you to be interactive in my life. I want you to move in my heart. I want you to like actually be in me and overcome the flesh. So let him know that you desire that. The same is true with relationships, right? Let him know that you want to keep company with him and you want to be intimately entwined with him. Let him know that. Second, practically, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit. A simple way, or simply put, it could be obedience. How do you be open and sensitive? Well, it starts with obedience, both large and small. The question to maybe ask yourself is, what is the Spirit leading you to obey in right now? What's the one thing? Start with one thing. It can be major, it can be minor, it doesn't matter, but obedience is the key there. Like, what is he asking you to do? What's the Spirit leading you to obey in? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is actually a counselor. He gives us guidance. Does anyone here need, like, divine guidance in their life? Anybody? Like, right? Especially after a year of COVID, like, what in the world am I supposed to do? The Holy Spirit takes care of this for us. When we're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, we can make wise thoughtful, intelligent decisions with our lives that bring about fruit, not destruction. 
Uh, Psalm 32, verse 8, David speaking here. He says this. Uh, he says of the Lord. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathways for your life, and I will advise you and watch over you. I am so comforted by the reminder that God wants to, as we are listening and being open and sensitive to his spirit, he wants to guide us along the best pathway for our life. But here's the deal. Our flesh can take over. I don't know if you've been in that space where your flesh takes over and you've made poor decisions. And the fruit of those decisions is not life, it's death, or it's hard or really challenging. It's like walking in mud, right? We have those moments too. But the spirit wants to guide you in the best pathway for your life. Lastly, what does it look like or mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to pattern your life after the influence of the Holy Spirit. Another way to say that would be building your life around a set of spiritual disciplines that aid in the process of becoming more like Jesus. I talk to people every single year. Um, they, think, they talk about retirement. They talk about career building and planning, family planning. They talk about budgets, YNAB. Danny, right? I love YNAB. If you don't know what that's at, we can talk later. Incredible. You need a budget. That's what it stands for, and it's a gift. But you talk about money. You talk about priorities. You talk about goals for the year. But oftentimes, we don't have a plan for how we are going to grow in the things of the Spirit. And similarly, just like you make a goal for the year with your finances or your life or your relationships, you want to have a practical plan for what am I going to do? What disciplines am I going to include in my life and begin to operate in to make space for the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me and to have presence with him and to have peace and hope and joy and all that stuff? We have to commit. One way we walk in the Spirit is by committing to actually build this process into our life, pattern our life after the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, prayer is a huge gift. Instead of prayer being this passive thing that you don't do enough of, now prayer is like this planning meeting with the creator, creator of the universe. And he's imparting grace on you and saying, hey, let's do this together. Let's accomplish this good. Let's, let's actually have your life be fulfilling and rich and bless other people. That's what happens when we walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only gives you gifts to bless, but he gives you the power internally to overcome sin, the flesh, and the devil. And he will give you the power to follow him in righteousness. Now, one last thing before we close. Uh, in Psalm 32, we just read that verse that God says, I'll guide you along the best pathways for your life. I'm going to advise you and watch over you. But what's really interesting about that is if you look at the seven verses previously, what David was doing, David was actually, before that, he was praying and he was actually confessing. I'm gonna read this over you, it's not on the screen, but I wanna read this over you, okay? Because I wanna give you for a minute of what place David was in right before he got to that phrase. And this is the place he was, this is what he says. What joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And then he says, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. And then he says, my strength evaporated like water in the summer, heat. I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord and, I will, and he forgave me. All my guilt is gone. 
Therefore, let the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me in my trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. David says all of that. Confesses sin, guilt. Jesus, thank you for, your sin. Thank you for this gift. And then he says, the Lord's response to that is I will guide you along the best pathways of your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. What is Jesus' response to us when we confess, when we say the flesh has been destructive, it has been in charge, it has been running the show? He says, awesome, I can actually get your attention. I'm going to guide you along the best pathways. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you as you walk in the spirit and I'm going to bring life and I'm going to help you do it. You don't have to white knuckle this thing. The spirit's going to help you do it. He's going to do that with you today. This is a thing that we get to walk into. And so as we close, if you wouldn't mind just standing, we're just going to take a moment to, to go through a couple movements or moments of just prayer and just inviting the Spirit into our situation. And just, I want to guide you just through a few things, a couple moments to make space for the Spirit to move like we talked about making space for the Spirit to do what He wants. So if you want to, sometimes it's helpful to open your hands if you want to do that. That's a posture of like where your heart's at. No pressure to. Sometimes if you're a person who needs to close their eyes like me because I get distracted, feel free to do that. If you're like, I think everyone's crazy around here and kind of sketchy, I'm opening my eyes. Please. The point really is for us to pause and to just make space to get comfortable, to try and just hear what the Spirit might want to say. All right, there's no pressure here. If you hear something or feel something or sense something, great. If not, there's no worries at all. You are just as saved, just as loved, just as cared for. This is just a moment for us to make space to see if the Spirit wants to say something, do something, correct, move around, teach, any of that stuff. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you please open our minds to what you're wanting to do with us? And that with us, I specifically pray as a church. And then the with us, I also specifically pray for us individually. Would you show us as married couples, for the married couples in the room, for the kids in the room, for any person that is in this space to just have a, a glimpse or an understanding or maybe even a, an acknowledgement of what you are asking them to do. For some right now, this is going to be a moment of deep conviction. But Father, I pray that it would be the gentle conviction that brings about repentance, not the kind that brings shame and destruction. Would you just make whole what has been broken down by the flesh? And friends, I just want to invite you into a moment. If there's anything in this moment that you want to pray or you want to ask of the Spirit, this might be a good moment for you to even acknowledge that you want his activity, right? Like in any relationship, you want to know that you're wanted. This is a great moment in your own words, in the quiet of your own heart, to just invite the Spirit in and say, Spirit, I just, I want more of you. I want more of your activity. I want your help. Would you help me? Would you give me the strength to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh? So we'll just take a few moments in your own words, in your own way. Invite the Spirit to do that.
this moment as you're doing that, we're gonna start singing. And singing is a, one of the ways that we worship. We worship in many ways, but we also worship through singing. And this is a way for us to acknowledge that God is God and we are not, and for us to enjoy Him in His presence. So this, this moment isn't about rushing or singing the right words. It's about you continuing this moment in the spirit that He started in you. So let's sing together. We're gonna have a couple more movements of response time. But in the moment right now, in the meantime, sing as the Spirit leads you and as the Spirit guides you.